is just gonna go like that. This series of milestones. Getting married, having kids, getting divorced, getting my master's degree, finally getting the job I wanted, sending you off to college. You know what's next, huh? It's my fucking funeral. Aren't you jumping ahead by like 40 years or something? I just thought there would be more. Hello and welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your very much working progress host, Harv, and I hope you're not having as fucked up a day as I am, because, uh, well, something just happened on the train, and um, I think uh, I just want to share it for a second. Um, if you give me a second just to before we start the episode... If I could just tell you this quick, quick story, um, I just feel like it's somehow relevant or interesting, and I'm not sure how it's going to link uh, to the episode, but let's just go with it. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just need to share it with someone. So uh, Mariella and I were just on the train. Um, we were on our way back from going to clean our old apartment, or should I say re-clean our old apartment, because uh, we had to go back and get a little bit of soap scum off the shower and a bit of grease from the range hood. Our ex-landlord is a bit of a stickler, apparently. Um, so we're on the way back. Uh, pretty pretty happy to have it behind us, to be honest, because it's a bit of a pain in the ass. We don't have cars, so we are on public transport all the time to try and get to places like Ivanhoe, where the estate agent is. By the by, I should try and shorten this story or it'll be the entire episode. Anyway, so we're on the train, and there's there's plenty plenty of seats available. Um, but there's you know it's one of those situations where there are a lot of single people scattered thin across the the carriage, so not many seats where we could easily sit together. And Mariella and I have uh, some pretty weird seating requirements. Um, she gets vertigo, so she can't actually uh, face her back to the front of the train, or she starts to feel dizzy and out of it. So we try and get. Uh, a seat configuration where we can face each other. I'm going backwards. She's going forwards. Vertigo isn't an issue and uh, it's all good. Um, otherwise, you know, things start to get a little bit uncomfortable for her. So um, I let I just let her take the lead most of the time. She's There's more to it than that, believe it or not. The, 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 her process for selecting seats on the train is so complex and um, feng shui-ish. I don't know what she factors in, to be honest, uh, but whatever she does, I just let her do it and I sit opposite wherever she goes. So she spotted uh, a group of four seats. So on Australian trains, we have uh, two seats facing each other in two rows down the, um, down the carriage, but some, some of the seats are just two facing the same way. So you'd be looking at the back of someone's head. And some of them are clusters of four that face each other. We always go for the cluster of four so we can face each other. Otherwise, we're just staring into a void and we like to stare into each other's eyes. So we spotted one of these groups of four. It only had one guy sitting in it, which was fine. 
we thought, okay, uh, Mariella can sit next to the guy facing the way the train is going, so no vertigo problems. I can sit on the window facing the guy and can gaze lovingly into her eyes or gaze lovingly into the guy's eyes uh, if, you know, things went that way. Uh, so we walked towards those. I was behind Mariella. She stopped and then walked past the seats and it didn't take me long to work out why. Uh, when I looked across, the guy who was sitting there, we hadn't been able to see it because the back of the chair had blocked it, but he had his seat uh, occupied by his backpack. It's a little pet peeve of mine. But anyway, uh, she'd already gone past, so I went and I sat with her. And we sat on the um, the seats that are reserved or usually reserved for um, people with special needs. And these ones both are on either side of the carriage facing into the middle of the carriage. So you're basically sitting going sideways. So I said to Mariella, uh, is this going to be okay? I thought you wanted to face going forwards. And she said, no, it's fine if it's sideways. Um, I looked across at the guy. He kind of looked back at me. I'm pretty sure he knew what was going on, but he didn't move the bag. Uh, so um, we just sat down in, in those seats which in theory we had to give up if someone uh, in a wheelchair or an elderly person or whatever came onto the train. Not a problem though, of course, we would be happy to stand. It wasn't even a long trip, didn't really matter. But I was a little annoyed at the guy with the bag, I've got to say. And so I noticed uh, another woman getting on the train with a female friend. One sits opposite the man's bag, which is where I was going to sit or whatever. And the other was going to go and sit where the bag was. And just like what happened to Mariella and I, um, she realizes there's a bag there and uh, she pauses for a second. The guy just doesn't move the bag. And her friend says, you know, it's okay. Just sit on the other side of the carriage, uh, you know, diagonally opposite. And we can still talk to each other. It'll be fine. So noticing this, uh, and, and noticing that the guy's uh, got, got this weird attachment to his bag, I uh, say to Mariella as loudly as I can so that the guy can hear me, wow, that guy really doesn't want to move his bag no matter what, eh? I hope the bag bought a ticket. And pretty much everyone in the carriage probably heard it, I would say. Uh, a few people start shooting daggers at the guy. Um, I don't look at him. I just pretend uh, that I was speaking to Mariella and didn't realize I was speaking loud enough that he could hear me. But I could feel like the mood of the entire carriage shift, you know, like mission accomplished. Everyone hates that guy. And, uh, you know, I felt like he deserved it. So even though there's no one wanting to sit in that seat anymore, the guy finally moves his bag so that the seat's empty next to him. And as if it weren't complex enough by now, uh, an elderly woman gets on with her adult daughter and two young boys. I'm assuming that the young boys were uh, the sons of the mother and the grandmother was there to accompany them for a day shopping or whatever, going to the zoo or something, right? So um, at this stage, there just aren't four seats together anymore. Uh, the train's pretty much filled up. And um, keeping in mind, of course, the two seats that Mariella and I are sitting on are designated for people with special needs. So I'm thinking, are kids a special need? Are children a special need? So I'm looking at the sign above them 
And uh, they've got a picture of, you know, like a, an elderly person, a person with crutches and someone in a wheelchair, but there's no kids on the picture. Okay. So I figure, you know what? Um, I probably should move anyway, but I'm feeling pretty shit. The guy with the bag is the reason we're sitting here. So it's all his fault anyway. So, you know, they can just sit away from their parents or whatever. You know, it's not going to kill them, is it? You know, so uh, we stay put and the mother and grandmother, instead of sitting separately and having their kids have their own seats, they take the two seats opposite us, which are also designated for uh, people with disabilities. And each one of them takes one of the boys on their lap. So they're sitting there holding the boys. Uh, you know, they're basically creating the seatbelt for them. And everyone is just sitting there uncomfortable. You know, no one sat where they wanted to sit. Everyone got shuffled or bumped to a different seat. Uh, no one's got the configuration that they need to socially interact. Mariella and I are both facing the same way, staring at these two kids who, by the way, are pretty uncomfortable themselves, starting to struggle, make noise, pick on each other, you know, become little bastards, so to speak. Well, not so to speak. Well, no, it is so to speak. I don't know if they were bastards because that would mean um, that they were born out of wedlock, wouldn't it? So anyway, um, so we're all sitting here kind of seething. People are still giving dagger looks at the guy with the bag. Everyone knows it's his fault. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to have an argument with them if they say that they want us to move because uh, we're sitting in... Um, seats for special needs. I'm ready. I'm ready to say that being a kid isn't a special need. I'm ready to point them to the picture, showing there are no kids in the picture, and that I'm under no obligation to give up my seat for their two sons. And then, boom, suddenly the train just like lurches forward. Everyone sways or bends. The drivers obviously had to slam on the brakes for some reason. And the mother like tightens her grip around her son and manages to hang on to him. But the grandmother, being a little bit w older and weaker, loses her grip on the other boy. And it, it all just, like, goes to shit in this, like, kind of slow motion. If you've seen that scene from Swordfish, you know, where they do that thing where everything freezes and the camera rotates around the entire scene as a bomb explodes and everybody dies. It was kind of like that. This boy, like, kind of just flew into midair and I saw his head connect with one of the um, one of the metal bars that you know hold up the seats in in the train carriage, and his neck kind of uh, hooked around uh, the the metal pole, and he he flipped. He started spinning because the momentum of the bottom half of his body was faster than uh, the top half that had hit the pole, and he spun around at this really accelerated rate, and his head went. Um, straight into the, the pole opposite, the back of his head hit it at like, you know, the nape of his neck where his spine is. And he fell to the ground uh, in, in like just, just not moving. He's just, just like a sack of shit. The, 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 there was not a single move. I didn't even know if he was breathing. Everyone was shocked. We were shocked because the train had stopped suddenly, but also this kid had made this massive sound on the ground and everyone was just dead silent. And uh, yeah, the, the kid's just lying there, not moving. Um, the mother starts uh, screaming. Um, uh, the grandmother's just sitting there in shock. Um, the, the brother, who was sitting on the mother's lap, 
uh, falls to his knees pretty quickly. He starts crying and trying to wake his brother up, um, but the, the kid's just not moving. And uh, and and um, there's this little bit of blood just starting to pull underneath the back of his neck where he fell. And um, yeah, it, it was just this this horrible scene. The air was just thick with tension. And I looked across at the the grandmother and she's kind of, it's like she's talking, but there's no sound coming out. And uh, the mother finally sort of snaps out of her screaming fit and drops to her knees next to the, the other boy and starts shaking, uh, shaking this, the, the injured son. And for a moment, his eyes snap open and he gasps and it's, it's like, you could see in her eyes that she she just had this glimmer of hope that he was okay, and then his his eyes just rolled back in his skull, and uh, it, you know all that was left were the whites of his eyes, and he he just started pretty slowly at first, just sort of trembling, and then he went into this full shuddering fit on the ground, and uh, his the hair of his uh, at the back of his head was like flicking the blood around in little specks and he started foaming at the mouth and and just uh, just completely like trembling and completely out of control and the train uh, stops at, at a station the mother um, just kind of scoops the trembling kid up in her arms and I don't even know how she lifted him but somehow she did she made this huge grunt you know like one of those tennis players back in the 80s. I can't remember the name of them. This huge sort of grunt of effort. And the, the rest of the carriage is completely silent. It was just, and it, it felt like it echoed throughout the whole carriage. And the doors open. She, she kind of runs out with her son and just sort of stands there. Uh, her other son follows. The grandmother, who's still in shock, stays behind and just sits there staring. It's, it's almost like she's staring directly at me because she was sitting directly opposite. And the doors close, and that's what we were left with. This, you know, silent, shocked carriage, this grandmother staring into space, and a small pool of blood mixed with the foam from his mouth. And I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened once she left the train. I assume, I hope, she got the kid to a hospital and whatever. The grandmother was still with us. She didn't move the whole trip. We, we, we kept going and uh, we, we ended up, you know, getting off the train at our station and uh, she was still there. I don't know when she was supposed to get off. Maybe she was just going to go to the end of the line in that kind of like zombie-like days. I, I have no idea. It was just fucked up. The whole thing was just completely fucked up. So fast forward 20 years and the kid who got injured is graduating from university. It's a proud day. He's getting his engineering degree, and he'd wanted to be a medical scientist, but engineering ain't nothing to sniff at, right? So he's proud. He's puffed up. Um, his grades hadn't quite been good enough to get into medical school, and maybe maybe that was a good thing, you know, or so he tells himself. He became an engineer instead and built a few really cool bridges, and he fucking loves doing that. So he was just fine. He just always kind of wished he had become a doctor. And it was a shame because the seizure that he had on the train had caused his brain to be starved of oxygen for just long enough to cause some really mild brain damage. And the doctor said it probably wouldn't even be perceivable. But, you know, in the back of his mind, he always wondered if perhaps his grades would have been better 
if he hadn't had that injury on the train, if he hadn't had that seizure, and if his brain hadn't been deprived of oxygen for four and a half minutes. And when they asked him in school what he wanted to be when he grew up, this kid, little Eric, had never answered farmer or fireman or policeman like all the other kids. He had always answered exactly the same thing his whole life. I'm going to cure cancer because his father had died of cancer when he was two years old. And that was the only thing he wanted in his life to somehow reverse that or at least balance the universe for the loss of his father. And if it hadn't been for that injury, Eric would have succeeded in curing cancer, saving millions of lives. But the guy with the bag never got to know this because he died of the very cancer the kid was going to cure the very year he would have started clinical trials on the new treatment. If the kid had have become a doctor, he would have diagnosed the guy with the bag and would have recommended him for his own clinical trials, and that would have saved him. Now, there's a certain point in that story where none of it's true anymore. Can you tell where it is? Uh, <laughs> or is your, is your brain still trying to make sense of it? Are you still trying to understand what I'm communicating, why I told you this story? How do you feel about the people on the train, you know, the guy with the bag, the woman who wanted to sit with her kids but decided that she wanted to sit with them so much that she sat with them unsafely? Or me, who could have given up his seat but didn't? What about the woman who sat between the two friends? Do you wonder if she could sense she'd gotten in the middle of something and ruined those other two women's day? Are you mad at the guy with the bag? You should be because I slanted the story that way, didn't I? Why didn't he just move that fucking bag? Is it that hard? Did his bag have a fucking ticket? It's uh, outrageous. Or are you just mad at me for telling you a story that isn't true? And even though you know it's not true, is your brain still trying to make sense of it? Because when I was thinking about this story as I was daydreaming on the train, trying to come up with a story that would villainize the guy with the bag in proportion to how angry I felt at him, uh, that's how I felt. I, uh, I was still trying to make sense of the story. And when I was watching those mechanisms, that's when I decided that this had to be part of the, uh, of the podcast because the way I was processing the story that even I was making out myself, so I was under no illusion that it was true, um, was just fascinating. And then I thought to myself, and I'm not going to pretend uh, to you again that this is a real part of the story. By now, I think we know it's all bullshit, but it did occur to me that there was another way to start that story. You could start that story about 10 minutes earlier, and you could start with the guy and his bag. What if I told you that the guy with the bag was actually on his way to a ransom drop, and that the bag he was holding so close the whole time and was unwilling to move was actually the cash he was about to exchange to secure the safe return of his daughter from some kidnappers. Doesn't that change the entire story? All of a sudden, the people who were villains are the heroes. 
it turns everything upside down. The innocent bystanders are really just pissy commuters, you know? That's pretty much what I was in both stories, though. So, you know, there's that. I don't come out clean in this one. And I originally intended this episode to be kind of like a review. We're coming into the break. Uh, As I've told you guys, I do six in a row weekly, and then I take two weeks off to take stock. And we've done 18 episodes now. And I really just wanted this one to be a review of all the stuff that we've talked about so far. Last week, I kicked off a new series. So that's going to continue in the next cycle. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all going to change because uh, the first, well, the first bunch of episodes, I had to establish what this podcast is about, even for my own purposes, because to be honest, when we started, I wasn't really sure. And now I feel I know what it is. And we've gone through a lot of the core beliefs necessary to get to a point where we can be on the same page. And if you're listening to this at episode 18 and you haven't heard any of the rest of them, uh, you may have got a fun story out of my adventures on the train. Um, But this next bit's probably not going to make a lot of sense because uh, this podcast is about the power of story. But it's more than that. It comes from a philosophical underpinning, or at least uh, a yearning or an instinct or something inside me that tells me, and has always told me my whole life, that story is important. And it's not considered important by society. It's a frivolous thing. It's things we do for, for fun entertainments. We watch a movie, we read a book, we tell each other stories about what happened in our day. We make things up. We tell a horror story around a campfire but it doesn't get pride of place on the the shelf of important things in life, you know. And I always feel like it should, and I never really understood why until I started doing this podcast. If you believe in a philosophical idea that we're all one, right? Now, you hear this all the time, we're one. You know, John Lennon says it, it's in art, it's in everything. Every religion or spiritual idea has a version of this uh, that it that it peddles, which is uh, humans are not separate; they're all one. But I'll tell you, we feel pretty goddamn separate, don't we? You know, there really isn't uh, any indication that we're connected to each other. And while we're always looking for it, we're always looking for those connections. We ultimately never find them because we have these physical barriers in reality, uh, these, these properties, these physical properties that we have to adhere to that preclude things that are considered supernatural, like telepathy or whatever, you know, these types of things that would indicate we are connected. So while it's tempting to say that we all feel like we're one, reality slaps us in the face every time. However, I don't think it really matters whether you can prove it, because I think everybody, when we hear that concept expressed through art or song or story, we just know inherently that it's true. And maybe it's more of an allegorical thing. Maybe it's more about how our actions affect each other. And again, let's go back to that story. 
one guy not moving his bag led to millions of deaths. And little things that we do every day could have similar effects. We'll never see them. We'll never know. You know, that guy died of cancer never knowing that his action, his slight moment of impoliteness caused all of that mayhem. And I was talking to a friend the other day about, uh, you know, the law of attraction, the secret, uh, intention, manifesting reality. And I was saying to him, there's really no reason to believe that that's true because the subtleties of the effects of our beliefs and the stories that we tell ourselves do manifest in the real world. If you have the intention to meet an end goal or achieve something, then it's always present in your mind and every action that you take is infused with that goal. So of course it's going to affect the real world and manifest in reality, but it's not supernatural. And do you know what he said to me? He said, yeah, but I still like to believe it anyway. So I choose to believe that we're all one and we're all connected, but we are interconnected one way or the other, whether it's metaphorical or allegorical or literal. And I think it doesn't matter what you believe because there's benefit in behaving in such a way that we are all connected. And once you believe that, it's just a small step to say that we're all just pieces of God consciousness having individual experiences so that eventually the whole can find a way to understand itself. And this is a religious idea that comes up again and again. I don't know, in my travels, my learnings, whatever you want to call them, um, and one that I've always connected with because it just feels like it makes sense of the world. And if we are all just pieces of God consciousness having experiences, then the experiences we have are the meaning of life. And that elevates story to a level that I feel is appropriate because Our story is what our entire lives produce. Every life, no matter what your experiences, produce a story. And that story has value. And it's important to preserve that story. So writing, making art, however you want to create a representation of your experiences, are suddenly the most important thing that you can do. So if you're just making a podcast and you think, oh, this is just pointless, no one's listening, blah, blah, blah. No. Recording your story is the most important thing you can do. And if you're not recording your story, I believe you can never be truly happy. That's why we're all drawn to art and culture and representations of abstract things that we connect with because they are the meaning of the whole. They're the meaning of life. So when I said, I think in the first episode of this podcast, that I believe story is the meaning of life, that's what I'm talking about. 
So when you're experiencing some suffering, some pain, some loss, something difficult, just think of all of your experiences as important data points in this grand cosmic experiment of the gods. And I think it just makes things a little easier to get through. And that's why, as we go on this podcasting journey together, I'm going to keep telling as many stories as I can and talking about as many ideas as I can. And I'm going to keep sharing the crazy stuff that pops up in the old noggin, even if it may turn out to embarrass me. And if you've made it this far, well, congratulations, I guess. Uh, Thank you. And I hope you stick with me for the rest of the ride.